This study we're going to be doing uh, this afternoon, right now, right after lunch, they gave me the hard one, right? Y'all be sleepy. Is on the signs of the times. That's what we're going to be discussing here. There's a couple of things I want to ask, first of all. How many people here give Bible studies on a regular basis? You do? You? Yeah, sometimes. People give them sometimes. Why do you not give Bible studies? It's because you can't find somebody to study the Bible with? Is that one of the reasons? No, it's not. You can find people to study the Bible with, no problem. That, that's not an issue at all, really, when you start thinking about it. People, there's all kinds of people willing to study the Bible. Usually the main reason we don't want to have Bible studies is because we're afraid they'll ask us a question we can't answer. How many people are afraid of that? <laughs> you know, that was my biggest fear, too, when I started giving Bible studies to people. But you know what I found out? About 99% of the people you ever study the Bible with don't know anything about the Bible themselves either. You know, they, if they ask you that hard question and you say, well, where's that at in the Bible? They don't know. They may say something like, you know, oh, what about this text that says that, uh, you know, to be absent from the body, to be present from the Lord. You've heard that, right? You say, where's that in the Bible? <laughs> they don't know, you know? So they're asking because they've heard things. And usually if you're just humble enough just to talk to them in a kind way, and, uh, and what's really impressive is if you say, oh, yeah, by the way, that text is in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, and you take them there. They're, they're so impressed just by you knowing that that, they, they usually, that usually takes away the, the question they had to start with. But uh, most people you, that you study the Bible with aren't going to be very um, argumentative. You know, that's usually a fear that people have. It's like, oh, they're gonna, people are going to try to shut me down. And if, and, I, and if you do study the Bible with somebody like that, and they're just very argumentative and very adamant, and, and they don't really want to study the Bible, they just want to show you up or whatever, then just don't go back. We're here to seek souls for the kingdom of God. That's the purpose of Bible studies. And uh, I want to let you know that the... Um, the Bible studies that uh, we, we're doing here, that you're marking up in your Bible, if, how many people here are planning on, or at least have marked up their Bible some? Some of you? Listen, if you'd like to know what that looks like in a, in a completed Bible, this one here is completed. And it's, it's my Bible. I took the time to mark up every one of the studies. And it's a lot of fun to be able to sit in a home and uh, open up a Bible and go from text to text to text and just show them what the Bible has to say on any particular subject. I liked it so much that when I started preaching, more often, I, I started putting my evangelistic sermons and other sermons that I preach in my Bible. I can just about go to any church and preach several different sermons, and uh, with, I don't have any notes, I just have them in my Bible. I mark them up just the same way I did the Bible studies, and you'll find that's very easy. That brings me to another point, just to help you understand. Do you, do you find like when Pastor Scott was up here presenting, or when he, someone else is presenting an evangelistic sermon or a Bible study, do you find it kind of difficult? Like, if I tried to give this same Bible study, there's no way I would know what to say. You know, like I would read the text and I wouldn't know what to say. You ever felt like that? I mean, it's pretty good. I mean, I kind of understand what you're saying when you give the Bible study, but for me to give it, it's very difficult because I'm not sure I'll know what to say whenever I get to that text. Do you follow what I'm saying? I used to be terrified of that until I started giving Bible studies with only my Bible. And I found out that when I read the Bible, when you pray before you read the Bible and ask the Spirit of God to show you what to say and help you through it, that when you open up your Bible and you start sharing with somebody, you're going to find out that all those things you realize you need to remember to say are there. Now, see, that's a faith thing for you now. You have to believe what I've just told you by faith and go out and try it and find out that you do know what to say when you get to the text. Um, another good suggestion, and I do this myself, is before I ever give a Bible study or if, if I'm, when I hold my evangelistic meetings and sermons and things like that, I like to do things like watch a DVD of that same sermon, whether I presented it or someone else has presented it, before I go present it. It's fresh in my mind and everything at that point. So there's different ways you can remember, and, and it'll come to your mind. If you'll go through the Bible study and you read the text, you'll find out as you read the text that, that, that the things that you need to remember to say come to your mind. Maybe we'll have a breakout thing here and you guys can give a study to each other. I don't know. Okay. Most people, when they give studies, they use just like the Amazing Facts Study Guide or something like that, and you have notes in there. And it's a little intimidating just to go with your Bible, isn't it? But God will bless you if you'll try it. And so the study we're going to be doing right now on a math, basically it's going to be Matthew chapter 24. That's what we're going to be focusing on mostly through this study. And as you go through it, just kind of keep an idea that, you know what? I can remember to say that. Just, just, just think in your mind, if, if you was given a study right now, if, if this is what would come to your mind as, as, we, as we go through this study. Um, all right, before we ever open up the Bible, when I go into a home, or any time you're given a Bible study or presenting a seminar, spiritual things, the Bible says, are spiritually discerned. And so in order to have understanding, we must first ask God to give us understanding. So let's bow our heads for a word of prayer. 
Lord Jesus, I want to thank you so much that you've given us an opportunity again this day to study your word. Father, I ask that you will open up our minds that we'll hear what you are saying to us through the, through the message, through this study. And Lord, I pray you'll bring conviction to us to, to follow what it is that you're telling us. Most of all, Lord, I also ask that you'll help us to share it unashamed with those people around us. And we ask it in the name of Jesus. Amen. Now, by this study, the second study, we've already covered, uh, when you're going through Bible studies, we mark them up in order. We mark them up in order to studies um, in, in our Bibles. Like um, the list will be back there. I think it'll be on the, on the internet as well, on, on, the, on our website. In other words, in the order you should give the studies in. You don't want to go and give, say, um, the Antichrist on the second study. You probably need to build a little more foundation. And, and so it gives you, we have a, already developed a list of the, in the order you should give the Bible studies in. And so we're in the second study right now, the uh, signs of the times. That's what we're going to be looking at at this time. And when you mark your Bible up, you remember how to do it? Those of you that were here? Who, who was not here to understand how to mark the Bible? Because we're going to go real quick again. Okay, real quick we'll show you, give you an example again. This study this time is the signs of the times. And in your Bible you'll abbreviate it ST. ST, Sierra Tango. And uh, that just simply signs the times so that when you get all 24 studies marked in your Bible, you don't say, um, if you don't have the abbreviations there, it just gets to be real confusing when you go through Mark Your Bible without the abbreviations. So it's very important that you have that. And th that's what each, each of the, uh, the texts will be marked with. And here's the list of texts we're going to use in this study. And you'll notice the majority of them are from Matthew chapter 24. Um, marking up your Bible when you're doing this study or another study when you have a whole lot in the same area there. One of the things I do is I take colored pencils. Um, the first three, four texts that I'm going to be looking at will be, say, in red. And then I'll know, okay, red, read, read all the ones in red, and that stops there. Then I'll read all the ones in blue and stop there and that kind of thing if you use different colored pencils. That's kind of an easy way of doing it. Or you can just go through and mark them up, just like we'll show you. It just gets a little crowded in there. Um, so here's the whole list. There's 14 texts in this study, and the study is called Signs of the Times. And you remember how to mark it up. We're going to look at it right now. We go to the first text in the study, Revelation chapter 16 is where we're going to go to. Revelation chapter 16 is the first text. And you'll notice how it's marked up here. This is exactly how you mark it in your Bible. The 1ST stands for the first text in the Signs of the Times study. And then a little line across there. What does that line across there represent? It represents Revelation 16:15. That's just where you're at. The line in the middle is where you're at. There's nothing above the line. And why is that? Because that's the text you just came from. And we haven't come from any text yet. So once you get to the next text that we go to, you'll put, a, you'll put something in that. And then the line on the bottom underneath it is the next text that you'll be going to after we get done with Revelation chapter 16 and verse 15. Does that make sense? When you mark your Bible up, that's how it's marked up. Okay, any questions on that? The uh, Matthew 24, 42 through 44, the Revelation 16, 15, these first few texts we're going to be looking at, as we look at the signs of the time study, the main idea at the very beginning is Jesus told us to be watching for something. If I'm sitting in a home or if I'm giving an evangelistic sermon, however I do it, and I sit down and begin to talk to the person even in the home, sometimes I get very animated even in the home giving Bible studies. I found that people really don't, it really doesn't bother them that much if I do that. You know, like if I'm going to give them an example, I might jump up on their cushions, their seat, and I don't go that far. But I do get a little animated in the study because it's very exciting studying the Word of God. Now, just curiously, how many people here are like lifelong Seventh-day Adventists? Quite a few. How many people have been a Seventh-day Adventist Christian most of their life? Yeah, a few of you? Okay. And so that just about covers everybody. The reason I ask that is because sometimes when we get into these studies, we ourselves are not very excited about it because we say, oh, oh, oh. I've heard this all before. Have you felt like that before? I don't want to go to the evangelistic meeting that our church is having because I've heard all this before. But maybe the very same people that I, and I know that say those very things struggle if it comes to someone asking them why they believe what they believe. And if you struggle with that, it's very important that you would go through and mark up these studies and learn them yourself. Don't you think it's pretty important to know why you believe what you believe? Rather than just saying, oh, I believe the Sabbath is on Saturday. And somebody says, why? And I can't give a Bible text to back it up. That's not a good thing. What you'll find if you go through and, and mark these studies up and go through the Bible and give these studies and start giving them, what you'll find out is that you learn the Bible and you learn why you believe what you believe. And I believe personally, I wasn't raised a Seventh-day Adventist. I was raised um, a heathen, and I became a Christian about uh, 15 years ago, Seventh-day Adventist Christian about 15 years ago. And one of the best things, I think, for everybody 
in order for you to, to, to stay in the church and be faithful to the Lord Jesus Christ is if you'll spend time yourself learning what the Bible has to say and learning why you believe what you believe. So that's part of what we're going to be doing here. The first three texts, the first three texts we're looking at here in this study, if you want to um, like mark them out a little bit and, and make them different than the rest, is all about watching. We're going to find out that Jesus in the, in the Word of God tells us to be watching for something. The first one, Revelation chapter 16 and verse 15, we can turn there. The reason I got a little podium and Scott didn't have it is because I have a broken arm and I can't turn my hand, my right hand, my left hand, I can't turn it this way to hold my Bible. It's still broken and pins and screws and stuff in it. So let's turn to Revelation chapter 16 in our Bibles, Revelation 16 and verse 15. Everybody knows how to get to the book of Revelation, I assume. If you're studying in a home, you'll be, I've, I've opened up a, the book, of my, my Bible in someone's home before giving a Bible study, and I say turn to Revelation, and they're, and they're flipping through the Bible, looking around, trying to find it, you know. When you give studies, that's one of the things you, may, you have to remember. Or if you're preaching in, in, in evangelistic meetings or things like that, many people that come to these seminars and things don't know their way around in the Bible whatsoever. So it's not a bad idea to tell people where the books of the Bible are. Revelation's the last book in the Bible. Go to the back, you'll find it. Revelation 16 and verse 15. Look what the Bible has to say. Behold, I come as a thief in the night. Blessed is he that does what? Watches. Watches and keeps his garments, lest he walks naked and they see his shame. So John here, writing in the book of Revelation, under, under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, God tells him to write in, in the book of Revelation to be watching. Watching. Watching for what? That's what we're going to find out as we continue through this study. Now, in my Bible, I've got it marked to the next one we're going to. Revelation, we, we, we just finished here in Revelation chapter 20, or 16, verse 15. And then the next one we're going to is Matthew 24. As you turn to Matthew 24, notice on the screen what's written up here. You see, when you get to Matthew chapter 24, verse 42 through 44, somewhere around in that area, somewhere in the vicinity of that, you want to put a, a, a circle with a line and, and your uh, 2ST for the second um, signs of the times part of the study. You just came from Revelation 16, 15, so that'll go on the top line. And then as you mark your Bible up, the line in the middle, the straight line coming out, just simply represents where you're at right now in the Bible study, which is Matthew 24. And then the, the, the writing on the bottom is for what text? Where you're going to next, right? So you get the idea of how the Bible marking works? We'll continue through the, just, just on, this, on this format as we continue through. So from Revelation 16, 15, we're now in Matthew chapter 24, verse 42 through 44. Matthew, the 24th chapter. You can turn there. First book of the New Testament. Matthew 24, 42 through 44. The Bible says this. First thing Jesus says here, Watch therefore, for you do not know what hour your Lord does come. So what's the context of the watching here? The coming of the Lord. Do you see how simple it is to know what to say as you give the Bible study? I mean, you just read the text. It says, Watch therefore, for you do not know the hour that your Lord does come. If you're giving a study right here, and, and we're having a Bible study in your home, and I say, okay, now what is it we're going to be watching for? And you can just simply say, it's right in the text, isn't it? The coming of the Lord. That's what God wants us to be looking for. But how does He want us to be looking? Just like standing around looking in the sky all the time? Well, He's not here yet. Every day we go out looking. What is it specifically that He wants us to be watching for? You can say that, right? Giving Bible studies is very simple if you just think it through. You know where you're going and, and that, that kind of thing. And actually, when you get to the next part of the verse, it says this. Know this, that if the goodman of the house had known in what hour the thief would come, he would have watched and would not have suffered his house to be broken. Therefore, be you also ready, for in such an hour as you think not, the Son of Man comes. So Jesus says to be watching, be ready, because in the, in the hour that you don't think it's going to happen, he's going to come. And uh, in the study, or just even right now, just think about it. Are we in a time where many people are saying, you know, we've been hearing this my whole life, perhaps in the church, in an hour when they do not think it's going to happen, he's going to come. So he wants those people that are following him to be ready all the time, to be watching, to be ready. You've got a popular teaching out there that Jesus is going to come secretly, quietly, and, and sweep away the church. It's going to be a secret rapture. You've heard of that kind of thing. And no one's going to know. It's just going to happen and no one's going to know. But if you'll notice our next text that, the Bible, that we're going to turn to here in the Bible, he says that's not the case when it comes to his people. 1 Thessalonians chapter 5. Now if we go there to 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, we'll, get to, we'll write a 3ST because this is the third um, reference we're going to be using in our study. And the ST stands for the signs of the times. 3ST, we're in 1 Thessalonians 5, 2 through 6. We're going to Matthew 24, 1 through 3 in our next text. As you study your Bible, and as you prepare these studies to give to someone else, 
you'll start learning and remembering what the next text says. Does anybody know right off the top of their head roughly what Matthew 24, 1 through 3 is about? Anyone want to take a shot at it? it? It's where Jesus is standing there and the disciples come to him and say, hey, look at the temple. And he says, let me tell you, all that one, there's not going to be one stone left upon another, right? You kind of know where you're going in the next part of the study. If you'll give this study, after you write, write it in your Bible, if you'll give it twice, you'll be able to go and you'll know where the next text is going to be. You'll just learn it like that. So you'll just have to give it like two times and you'll remember. At least I did. <laughs> maybe you're a little faster, maybe you remember it after one time. Maybe you're a little slower, maybe you remember it after ten times, I don't know. So 1 Thessalonians 5, do you know how to get the book of Thessalonians? Did you know that the, the books of the, in the New Testament are, when you get to the T section, it's in alphabetical order. So if you're flipping through your Bible and you go to Acts, Romans, Corinthians, Galatians, Ephesians, Philippians, Colossians, and you keep going that direction, you'll get to the T's, and they're all in alphabetic order. Thessalonians, Timothy, Titus, alphabetic order in the New Testament. So we'll get to the book of uh, 1 Thessalonians, and we'll go to chapter 5. We're going to read verse 2 through 6. Now pay close attention here. It's going to be another watch text. God's going to be telling us to be watching through the, through the author of uh, uh, the, uh, through Paul writing, he's going to tell us to be watching, but look what he tells us to be watching for, and it's very interesting here that he says, hey, you know what? It's not going to be a surprise to some folks. Most people think that the whole second coming idea, it's all going to be this big surprise, but there's certain individuals that we're going to find out right here that it's not going to be a surprise for. Once again, if you know what the text is going to be saying, you have no trouble when you're giving the Bible study to think of what to say there. You follow that? Let's look at it. For you yourselves know perfectly that the day of the Lord comes, how? As a thief in the night. There you go. It's going to be a secret. It's going to be a thief. No one's going to be expecting it. For when they shall say, peace and safety, then sudden destruction comes upon them as travail upon a woman with child, and they shall not escape. Isn't it interesting here, just to hang it on a hook in your mind, that Paul is likening the second coming to a woman in travail, in birth, birth pains. Just keep that on a hook in your mind. It'll, it'll be relevant in just a few minutes. They shall not escape. But you, brethren, who's he, who's he writing to? Paul's writing to the Thessalonians, right? He's writing to us. He's writing to the Christians. And he says, you, brethren, are not in darkness that, that they should overtake you as a thief. So the second coming of Jesus, is it going to be a thief in the night to Christians, according to Paul? No, it's not. That's what it says. It won't come to you as a thief. It won't overtake you as a thief. With just one text, you've destroyed what most people believe about the second coming of Jesus. Is it going to be a thief in the night to Christians? No. He says it's not going to be. You're the children of the light, children of the day. You're not of darkness, nor are you of the night. Therefore, let us not sleep as others do, but let us do what? Watch and be sober. Now, let's just think about this for a minute. You have John writing the book of Revelation, and he says for us to watch. You have Jesus speaking in the book of Matthew, and he says, hey, you need to be watching and looking out. You have Paul writing in the book of, uh, of Thessalonians here, and he tells us to be watching and sober and vigilant, be looking for something. Now, would you consider these guys fairly intelligent people? I mean, I would. They turned the whole world upside down. I mean, how many people do you know that died 2,000 years ago and you can name their names today? Not very many, are they? But these guys, the ones that wrote the Bible, the authors of the scriptures, you know who they are. So I would consider them pretty intelligent people, pretty, pretty important people, in, in, at least in, in the world's view. They, the whole world has heard about the, the writings of the Bible, basically. We're almost there. Not yet. Jesus hasn't come. But we would consider them very intelligent people, wouldn't we? So if they're telling us to be watching, telling us to be sober, telling us to look out, wouldn't it only make sense that they would tell us what to be looking out for? And that's, where we're, that, that's the lead, or the, the, the transition, you might say, into the next text. What is it we're to be looking for? If you don't know to say the whole long, drawn-out thing in a Bible study, just simply say this, I wonder what it is they want us to be looking for. You can remember, remember that, right? I wonder what it is we're to be looking for. And that's what we're going to find out next. Go with me to the book of Matthew, chapter 24, verses 1 through 3. And we'll be in, the, we'll be in Matthew 24 pretty much the rest of the study. Back to the left in your Bible. You're in, from the right, back to the left, Matthew 24. We're going to start in verse 1. Who's going to be talking here in Matthew 24? Do you have a Bible with red letters in it? You're going to notice that Jesus is going to be the one doing the speaking. So we're going to find out what Jesus has to say, and we're going to find out what he has to say specifically about what the Bible said we're to be watching for. Remember, Jesus says, watch, you don't know what, because you don't know what hour I'm coming. Paul says, be vigilant, be watching, because you don't know what, what hour the Son of Man is coming. Revelation says, be looking out, because Jesus is coming. Now, Jesus, is going to, Jesus here, what we're going to be looking at, he's going to be telling us, 
what we're to be looking for before he comes. And you might find some new and interesting things here in the, in the context of the text we'll be looking at. Verse 1, Jesus went out and departed from the temple. His disciples came to him to show him the buildings of the temple. Jesus, look how beautiful the church is. And Jesus said to them, Do you see all these things? I tell you, uh, verily I say unto you, rather, there shall not be here left one stone upon another that shall not be thrown down. Now that was an outrageous statement. And the disciples thought, wow, if the temple's going to be destroyed in these massive stones, there's not going to be one on top of another, it must be the end of the world. Right? You know that's what they were thinking because look what it says next. And as he sat upon the Mount of Olives, the disciples came unto him privately and said, um, tell us, when shall these things be? And what shall be the sign of your coming and the end of the world? They asked two questions here. They didn't know they were asking two questions. They thought anything as serious as the temple being destroyed must be the end of the world. They said, hey, tell us, tell us when shall these things be, the temple being destroyed, which we know was done in 70 AD. You can remember 70 AD. When will the temple be destroyed? And then what will be the sign of your coming and the end of the world? Jesus here actually gives them both answers at once. He, he blends the, the destruction of the temple, he blends that right along with the, the, the signs and the things that are going on right before the second coming of Jesus. He puts them together in one answer. And we're going to look at that now as we move into the next part of the text. They asked him, hey, when's the end of the world? What is it that Jesus wanted us to be watching for? What happens at the end of the world according to the Bible? Jesus comes, right? We read that uh, throughout. You read that all the way back when, when we studied Daniel chapter 2. The end of the world was the second coming of Jesus. The stone comes and destroys the image. That was in the previous study. So what we're looking for now is the signs of these things taking place. What's going to be going on on this earth right before he comes? That's what we're going to be looking at. And I wish, the, the only drawback a lot of times to given Bible studies, they teach you don't be in the home for over an hour. And that's hard for me because I want to give them the full everything, right? When I do the signs of the times, I want to go through the James chapter 5, 1 through 5 with the economic problems, Revelation 18 with the economic problems, and show how that ties into today. And I want to do all this stuff. You've got to resist that temptation because you'll be there two or three hours. And the next time you want to go give a Bible study, they're going to look at their watch and say, oh, man, I don't have three hours to spend with this guy or gal. And then they won't answer the door. They'll be home, you'll hear the TV on, and they won't answer the door. So you've got to keep it within an hour, and that's why you just kind of just cut out a lot of the really good juicy stuff that I like to listen to and, and pay attention to because it encourages me to know that Jesus is coming soon. But we have to stick right with the Bible study, and that's what we're going to have to do through this. So the answer we're going to find here goes just to the next part of the text. We're in Matthew 24, 1 through 3. Look at the next text we're going to. Matthew 24, verse Four. We just ended with three, we're going to four. That's one of those times where you can just take a pencil in your Bible, put a line there, like stop reading here, make your comments here, right? And then you're just going to pick it right back up in verse four. Simple enough to mark your Bible up in that way. Matthew 24, starting in verse four through seven. Now, again, there's another great temptation right here for me. Whenever you get to this and you start reading down from four to seven, it's very tempting to stop the reading of it and start commenting on it. Don't do that because you're going to comment on it as you go through the rest of the study. So let's just right now just read it down through here. Look what Jesus says to be looking for right before he comes. The very first thing he says in verse 4, Jesus answered and said to them, Take heed that no man deceives you. Isn't it interesting when the disciples asked about the timing of his coming, the, what it's going to be like right before he comes, the very first thing he says to his disciples is what? Don't be deceived. Now why do you suppose he said that? I'll, I, I, ask this, I ask this question in this point in the study. At this point, I ask this question. How many people, or if I'm one-on-one -on -one study, are you deceived? Are you? You're not? How do you know? Because you know Jesus Christ? Yeah, that's, that's usually what people might say, something like that. But how do you know if you're deceived? I mean, how, how can I be sure I'm not deceived? There's, there's people out there in all faiths and denominations and everything that claim to know Jesus Christ, but yet many of them are very deceived. They're deceived about the end of time and things like that. How, how, how do you and I know? We're, I'm having a Bible study with this guy here. What's your name? Andrea. Andrea? Andrea? Me and Andrea is having an in-home Bible study right now, and I'm asking Andrea. Andrea, how do you know like, you're not deceived or maybe I'm not deceived? How do we know that? It's a good question, isn't it? And, and I like to give this illustration. This is a very simple illustration. How many people know when you're sleeping? Do you know when you're sleeping? No, you don't know it. How do you know when you've been asleep? When you wake up. Deception is the same way. When you're deceived, you don't know you're deceived until you become undeceived. And the elixir or the cure for deception is found right here in the Bible that we're going to be studying. 
And we're going to find out in this study, perhaps you may learn something from the Bible today that you didn't know before. And you may say, if you're, if, if you're honest, very honest, you might say, whew, I was deceived at that point. Right? So we're going to find out, perhaps we are deceived in some places, but we're going to find out that the Bible helps us to not be deceived. Isn't that good news? So let us look at it now. First thing Jesus says is don't be deceived. Do you think there may be some deceptions in the last days concerning the second coming of Jesus and the events taking place around that? For sure, for sure. That's why he says don't be deceived. For many will come in my name saying I'm Christ and deceive many. You will hear of wars and rumors of wars. See that you're not troubled for all these things must come to pass, but the end is not yet. For nation will rise against nation and kingdom against kingdom. There shall be famines and pestilences and earthquakes in diverse or various places is another interpretation of that. And then it says in verse 8, we'll go ahead and read it, all these are the beginning of sorrows. So Jesus says here, they're going to have earthquakes, they're going to have famines, they're going to have wars and rumors of wars, there's going to be, there's going to be um, people starving to death, there's going to be all kinds of deceptions about Jesus Christ and who He is. All these things are going to be deceptive in the last days. Now, what does the skeptic say at this point? Come on, let me hear somebody really loud. We've always had these things, right? We've always had uh, wars and rumors of wars. We've always had earthquakes. We've always had all of these troubles. But Jesus, and, and many people when they read that there, especially if they're skeptics, especially in our day and age, they say, that's nonsense. He's not prophesying. Who, who did, that was nothing. They had um, earthquakes and wars and rumors of wars and all that stuff in his day. But the people listening to Jesus at this time heard something that many of us do not hear because of the translation. And we're going to pick up on it right now in this as we go through it. He, he compares his second coming to two things. We're going to look at the second one first. All right? The second one is found in our next text, Matthew chapter 24, verse 32 through 33. Matthew 24, verse 32 through 33. Let us go there. Matthew 24. We're still there. 32 and 33. Look what he says. Now learn a parable of the fig tree. When his branch is yet tender, he puts forth leaves, and you know that summer is nigh. So when you see the leaves on the tree starting to turn color and you see the little blossoms and the buds coming out, you'll know that summer is nigh. And then the next verse, he says this. So likewise, when you shall see, or be watching, right? When you see these things, know that it is near even at the doors. So how is it he wants us to know that it's near? When you see these things happening. But now wait a minute, they've always happened. They've always happened. And he, he compares it to a fig tree blossoming. But now let's go back up to another text, the one that, we, that, that I really like to focus in on here. First of all, he compares it to a fig tree, but he compares it to something else that, is, again, is often missed in the translation. It's very simple here as you look at this. Um, back to Matthew 24 and verse, verse 8. So you'll go now to 7ST. This is our seventh text on the Signs of the Time study. 7ST, Matthew 24, and we're going to look at verse 8. Matthew 24, 8. Read it with me. Let us look at this. Now, there's a couple of things I like to do here. You'll have to have your own personal story. You can use mine if you want. You'll say, hey, I, I know this guy, and you do know me. My name is Philip Sizemore, and now we all know each other. You can say, I know this guy, and you can tell this story if you want to. But here's what I do at this point. I kind of take people a little bit off the subject for a second, and it helps them to make sense even more. This is the best way to do this that i found. Whenever um, I was about 22 years old, I met this little gal and I became a Christian through her witness, became a Seventh-day Adventist Christian out of heathenism. And uh, I really loved her a whole lot, so I married her. And after we got married, about 18 months later, uh, after we were married, she started getting fat. Now she wasn't fat when I married her, but her belly just kept getting bigger and bigger. And I said, that's a sign. There's something not right about her. I mean, she was all skinny when I married her. But she kept getting bigger and bigger, you know, and then I realized we took her to the doctor because something wasn't right. And the doctor says, oh, she's pregnant. I said, whew, okay. Now, I really, I knew she was pregnant, okay. But there was some signs taking place, wasn't there? Now, with this sign that was taking place, did it mean that I needed to have her to hospital all the time? No, because the baby wasn't coming yet, was it? But then one Sabbath after church, we was at home, and Laura comes out of the bathroom and she says, I think my water just broke. And I said, hmm, that must be a sign. Oh, well, we won't worry about it. Nothing's happening. You think that's what I said? No, it's not at all. I said, well, let's call the doctor at the hospital and see what they want us to do. So we called the hospital and they said, bring her right in. So we jumped in the car, you know, and I'm driving really fast out this country road there in eastern Kentucky area. And we, we get to the hospital and uh, they take her in and they hook her up to this machine. They put these little things all over her big fat round belly. They stick them all over her, right? And on the wall, now check this out. On the wall, on the side here, was a graph, a little chart. 
And every time that Laura would do this, <laughs> that little graph would go, and then she would go, and then just come back down. You know what was happening? She was having contractions. And every hour or so, 20 minutes, whatever it was, every so often, that thing would just start going up and she would start making those noises and it would go back down and she would relax and it just kept doing that. And all evening it done that. All evening it just kept doing that. And, and the further the evening got into the evening, the later it got, the more it did it. Until finally, at about three o'clock in the morning, to about, uh, yeah, starting about three o'clock, every a minute, she was just, <laughs> and that thing would go up and back down. And the, and the chart was just, it was just going off the chart. She was having contraction after contraction after contraction. She was in labor pains. And at 3.30 in the morning, they could just unhook those things because she'd had all the contractions she could handle, right? And that baby was born. Caitlin was born at 3.33 in the morning on, uh, in 1995. I forget the month in November 19th. <laughs> anyway, she has a baby, right? The closer the baby got to being born, the more and closer together and more intense were those contractions. It was more intense and more, clo and more close together. Now with that in mind, I want you to notice something you probably never noticed before in Matthew chapter 24 that the people listening to him would have fully understood. Go to Matthew 24 verse 8 and look what it says. All these are the beginning of sorrows. Now you may want to make a note here in your Bible or on a piece of paper. That word sorrows is in a Greek word, it's odin. And I don't know if I'm saying that totally correct or not. But the word literally means and is translated in other parts of the Bible, birth pains. Now, just think about it a minute. When Jesus is talking to the people standing around, he said, you're going to see these things. It's going to be just like birth pains. Do you think they got it? For sure they got it. I mean, we, we read the word sorrows, and it just, well, sorrows, that's just the beginning of sorrows. That doesn't really make much sense to us. But if you understand what the word literally means, and it's translated in other places in the Bible, it means birth pains. I think I have it on the screen for you. Uh, there it is. Yeah, sorrows. And there's the little Greek things over there. And paying, especially a throw, a childbirth, pain, sorrow, travail. So they're listening to him speak in, in that language. And when he says, hey, this is the beginning of sorrows, he says it's the beginning of birth pains. Now, let's take that idea and plug it into everything he's just said. Were there wars and rumors of wars in Jesus' day? Yeah, but how intense were they? Now, now you just think about it. How intense are they now? You understand what's going on? He says it's going to be closer and closer together like a woman having a baby. When she first gets pregnant, does she have contractions? No? How about three months into it? At what stage is it, if anybody knows, that they start having what's called Braxton Hicks contractions? You know, where it's like false labor? How far into it do you start having that, ladies? Those of you who have been through that kind of thing. Does anybody remember or know? You just want to forget about it, right? <laughs> yeah, but they start having false labor pains, but it's still a sign, isn't it, that something's going on in your body, something's not right, and it gets closer and closer together, more and more intense, till finally the baby's born. That's exactly what Jesus was saying when he says, hey, all these are the beginning of sorrows. He says, don't think that because you've always had wars, because you've always had earthquakes, because you've always had famines, because you've always had pestilences, don't think that that's just, everything's going to keep going on like that. He says, pay attention, and when they get closer and closer together and more and more intense, you know that I'm coming soon. Now, some of you are saying, there's no way I could give this a Bible study and say the same things. You don't have to. You can remember the word Odin. It means birth pains. And, and, and I like this here, too. This study is a very difficult study to give because it's always changing, right? Because you have these major earthquakes, you have this and that. I don't spend a whole lot of time worrying about the details of it. If anybody has, a blood, uh, has blood pressure, they have like a temperature, they, they're like alive and they're breathing, they know that things are getting worse. You don't have to belabor the point of there's more in this and more of that and give all the details of these things. You, I just give some general, general things when I give a Bible study because it's hard to remember all those things and have papers to hand out and that kind of thing. If someone is very obtuse, if they're trying to be hard to get along with and say, well, I don't think it's quite so bad, then I can go get them the information and, and share it with them. I've never ran across that. Even the secular mind, people that aren't even paying attention to most things going on in the world today, even those people that are out there not a bit religious, they know that something's not right. My mom is a good example of that. My mom, I, was, I told you I was raised complete, you know, no religion whatsoever. My, my dad died uh, 10 years ago. But even today, my mom is realizing that things aren't quite right. And that, this, you might think, well, that's not anything new. It is for me. And for my mom to admit things like that, it's, it's, a, it's a big revelation. Even the people in the world that aren't paying attention know that things aren't right right now. And when you can show them this, now I want you to think about it. How many people here thought it was pretty exciting to find out what the word sorrows meant? Just be honest with me. It's pretty cool, isn't it, to find that out? Now just think about it. What's that like to someone that has never heard this study that we're doing, and they hear that for the first time? 
You know, one of the things you want to focus in on when you get to this study as well is make it a point that everybody knows that this stuff has always happened. I mean, before you ever give them the whole sorrows being the birth pains bit, you know, make sure that you tell them, hey, we've always had this stuff, haven't we? Jesus is not, re Jesus is not really telling us anything special, is he? And, and get them to understand that, yeah, that's right, th this is nothing special. They've always had those things. And then when you set the hook, you know, you set the hook there, it, they're not going to fall off. You're going to get that fish landed because they're going to realize, hey, you know, that does make sense. And this is the most powerful point in the study, I think. The very fact that these things are, uh, even though they're not new, they are more intense. Let us look at one here in particular. Here's another revelation I want to show you here. We're going to the next text in Matthew chapter 24. We're going to look at verses 4 and 5, 11 and 24. This is about this, the, the false Christs, the false prophets part of this study. Matthew chapter 24 and verse 4 and 5. Look what it says. Jesus answered and said, unto them, Take heed that no man deceive you. Many shall come in my name, saying that I'm Christ, and deceive many. Now I'm going to add a little something here. You don't always have to give this in your study, but if you can, if you can understand it well enough to explain it, I think you'll be blessed by it. Who is speaking here? Jesus. Now notice what he says. Jesus says, Many will come in my name, saying, I am Christ, and deceive many. In other words, when we read this, and we just normally read it with our surface reading and not paying close attention, it's like Jesus is saying, hey, many will come in my name saying I'm Christ and deceive many. We think that they're talking about themselves saying that they're Christ. Isn't that what it sounds like they're saying? They're going to be saying that they themselves are Christ? No, no. Think about it. Jesus is speaking. Many are going to come in my name. Let's pretend for a minute I'm Jesus, okay? Just pretend. People are going to come in my name, Jesus' name, saying, I am Christ, saying, who is Christ? saying that Jesus is Christ and deceive many. Do you see that in the text there? Look at it again. Now, the, the reason we're going to show these other texts because when we get to the other ones here, Matthew 24, 11 and 24, you're going to find out that he talks about false Christ and false prophets coming from without and claiming themselves to be Christ or claiming themselves to be prophets. But here, if you pay close attention, it's like Jesus is saying, and I'll show you a backup text on this. It'll help hook it for you. It's like Jesus is saying, they're going to come saying that Jesus is Christ and use that as a platform to deceive many. Now, we're going to look for a, for a time when there's going to be a great influx. In other words, a lot of that happening. People claiming that Jesus is Christ, but using that as a platform to deceive people. Is that possible? Yeah, you know Paul said the same thing will be happening? Now, here's, it's just an extra text. You don't have to use this. You'll notice it's not in our study up here. You don't necessarily have to use it. So you might want to put a parenthesis around. And you want to go to 2 Corinthians, just real quickly, 2 Corinthians chapter 11. Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, Acts, Romans, Corinthians. Keep your place marked there in... Um, Matthew, look at what Paul says in 2 Corinthians chapter 11. This is fascinating. Does everybody understand what I was trying to say there? That people are going to be coming saying that Jesus is the Christ, but use that as a platform to deceive people? Have you seen on television many people claiming that Jesus, Jesus is Christ, but they're getting you to send them millions of dollars and, and go in debt for things to help them out in their ministries and all kinds of crazy nonsense out there, like they're you know, you touch your TV and you'll be healed, but they think that, that static electricity that shocks them when they touch their TV, you know, they think that's their healing, but actually it's static electricity, you know, those kind of things going on, right? Is, there, is that on the increase? Jesus said it would be. Look what Paul has to say here in 2 Corinthians chapter 11, verse 13. For such are false apostles, deceitful workers, transforming themselves into apostles of Christ. So Jesus says there are going to be people coming along, transforming themselves into apostles of Christ. Look what it says next. And no marvel, for Satan himself is transformed into an angel of light. Therefore, it is no great thing if his ministers, whose ministers? Satan's ministers, also transform them into ministers of righteousness, whose ends shall be according to their works. So according to the writing of Paul, is it possible, what Paul's saying here, you notice what he's saying, there's going to be people coming claiming to be ministers of who? Jesus, but whose ministers are they going to be? Do you think you're going to know? Do you think you're going to be able to say, oh yeah, they're, they're Satan's ministers right away. Why do you think Jesus begins with, don't be deceived? It's going to be very deceptive. We're going to be drawn into it. We're going to be saying, hey, you know what? It seems good. The guy's really nice. He, the devil can't be mean, can he? Can he? I mean, he can't be nice. The devil can't be nice, can he? Uh, can he be nice? I thought he always had to be mean. No, the devil can do anything he can to try to draw you in. He can make things look very good to try to draw you in. So Jesus here says, hey, there's going to be people coming. People are going to be coming. They're going to be saying that Jesus is the Christ, and they're going to use that as a platform to deceive people. Isn't that interesting? Don't be deceived, he says. That's what it says there in the very first thing. And it's also in that same text when he says, Many will come in my name, saying I'm Christ, and shall deceive many. <laughs> People think, hey, 
I'm just going to stay away from anybody that claims to be Jesus Christ. Well, so am I. But do you stay away from people that claim that Jesus is the Christ and they start teaching false doctrines? No, Paul warns about it and Jesus warns about it. Okay? Now, let's look at the others there. Matthew chapter 24, verse 11. Did that make sense? I mean, do you think you could understand that enough to explain it to somebody else? If you can't, I'll tell you what you need to do. You need to buy that DVD set back there that they have that you'll be able to get for the rest of these. And it has this, this sermon or this uh, Bible study on it as well. And you can go through it and hear it again and, and write it down and, and understand a little more detail. So let, let us look at the next part of this. In verse 11, he says basically the same thing, but just a little different. Look what he says. Many false prophets shall arise and shall deceive many. Do you notice the difference there? Many false prophets shall arise and deceive many. So he says there'll be false prophets. And then look at verse 24. There shall arise false Christs and false prophets and shall show great signs and wonders insomuch that if it were possible, they would deceive the very elect. So do you see that also again? He says, excuse me, he says a little different here. There shall arise false Christs. So he says three different things there. There'll be many people coming in Jesus' name saying that Jesus is Christ. There'll be false prophets and there'll be false Christ. Do you understand that? Do you see it in the text? Now, have they always had those things? Sure, even back in Jesus' day. You know that Jesus, when he died on the cross, did you know there was another guy supposed to die that day? Do you remember what his name was? Barabbas? Do you know what his name meant? Son of the Father. So isn't it interesting? He was, his name itself meant Son of the Father. He was claiming to be like a, a Messiah. He was going to save the people. He would caused insurrection. He was going to overthrow the Romans. Even in his day, you had false Christs and false prophets. So he wasn't saying anything new. But when you throw the added... Uh, added section in there about it being like birth pains. Have we had an influx of this? Has there been an increase of this? If you haven't noticed it, you're not paying attention. That may be a good thing in this case, in the false Christ and false prophets, if you haven't noticed it, that means you shouldn't be paying attention. But if you go watch regular Christian television, you'll hear all kinds of nonsense out there. And that's exactly what Jesus said would be taking place. So you see there, I didn't have to go into all the David Koresh stuff and all those kind of things. You can just basically just give a, a general idea. And most people that are paying attention, they know that these things are taking place. Now let's look at the next one. We're going now, oh, there it was, 2 Corinthians. We already took care of that. Matthew chapter 24 and verse 7 now. Matthew 24, 7, it says, For nation will rise against nation and kingdom against kingdom. And we're going to stop right there for a second. We're going to focus in on that one. What does he say the next sign will be? Nation rising against nation and kingdom against kingdom. So he says there's going to be not just wars, not just rumors of wars, not just nation rising against nation, but he said that it's going to be like birth pains or there's going to be an increase. We're going to look for it, for it to, to, to kind of going up on the scale a little bit, more than they've ever had before. That's what we're going to be looking for with this. And is that taking place? Well, let us find out. Can't go there. There we go. Matthew 24, verse 7. He says there'll be wars. Interesting thing. World War I, 15 million people died. Isn't it funny how you can say that? 15 million people died. How many people's in Louisville? Do you know? Is it 1 million, something like that, residents? Is that something like what Louisville has, about a million people in the whole Louisville area? Let's suppose I said that all of Louisville was destroyed, including you in it. Then would it mean something to you? 15 million people died in World War I. They call it the war to end all wars. Surely mankind is tired of fighting battles now. There's never been a war in all of history like World War I. The whole world is basically involved. 15 million people died because of war. And that's an estimate. You notice it doesn't say 15,100,963 or something like that. You want to know why? Because yeah, it's just about 15 million people. <laughs> that's, that's pretty Im impressive. And then when they thought that, well, no one's going to want to fight anymore, along came another war. Do you remember what that one was? Sure. World War II. 55 million people perished. Do you understand how many people that is? 55 million people. That's, again, an estimate. That's an estimate, and that's war casualties, too. That's not talking about all the, uh, you know, the peripheral things that happen to people starving to death and things like that as a result of the war shortly after. That's just as a direct result of bombs dropping and people dying. And that's an estimate, 55 million. I was reading not too long ago, and again, when I give the evangelistic sermon, if I'm preaching an evangelistic series, I give a whole bunch more details. We go through all kinds of things just to kind of really make the point. But doing a Bible study, I just basically use these two, and then I make this point. It's very interesting. It's estimated that there has been more deaths in the 20th century alone than from all previous wars combined. You take all the Earth's history from that they can record or even guesstimate on the wars and people that died, and it's been estimated that in the 20th century alone, that more people died from 1900 to 2000 as a result of war 
than all the previous ones combined. Now, with that in mind, think about what's going on in the world right now. You have the war on terror, which they say will never end. Because how can you ever defeat terrorism, right? That's the whole idea behind that. We just got to have a continual war going. We have nations right now admitting, leaders and nations admitting, we just have to have continual war. Jesus said there would be an increase. Have you ever heard, ever can I ever imagine in years past, leaders saying that the war will never end? I mean, we know the war is going to end one day. It's when Jesus comes. But he says right before he comes, there's going to be a great increase in wars. And I just think it's more than interesting standing where I am today thinking back to my grandparents and others who after World War II thought there was some, some great hope coming, you know, that things are going to get better now, you know, things are looking up and they had the baby boomers, you know, we're all having babies, the world's going to be fine, everything's going to be fine now and now you have people sitting here most of us here today I have believe with all my heart and, and I do the same thing when I'm in a Bible study, I don't believe that I will live to grow old and die can you imagine the world lasting like that? I mean things are a mess and we're about due for another major one. So from there, take them to the next text. Famines. Matthew 24, 7. You read it right there in the same text. It says there'll be famines. Now that's a very interesting one, the whole famine idea. Because we're all full, aren't we? Do you know anybody personally that has to go hungry? I don't. I've never known anybody personally that has to go hungry. I mean, even the, even the worst case scenario in our country, you see guys standing on the street says, we'll work for food or, or you know, give us some money or whatever. They, they get people handing them money all day long and go buy food. I mean, the worst case scenario in this country, people still have, tend to have food. There are people hungry. I'm not denying that. But it's such a minority and such a, such a small thing in this country, isn't it, right now? Well, let me give you something for a worldwide statistic. There, there was two different things that have come up. I put 50,000 in there. If you go on the internet and you start looking at the World Health Organization and several other organizations, the low estimate on people starving to death every day in this country is about 50,000. The high estimate is about 100,000. So I put the low one in there. Just think about it. Every day in this world, they say 100,000 people roughly starve to death. Put it this way. On September 11th, 2001, roughly 50,000 people starved to death. Think about the history of this world. We didn't reach a billion people on this planet, a billion people, until the year 1800. So prior to the year 1800, there wasn't even a billion people on this planet. And today, brothers and sisters, 50,000 to 100,000 people are starving to death every day. It doesn't take long, too many years of, of this kind of starvation to reach what would have been, what would have been the world's population just, just years ago. Does that sound like it could be an increase? When Jesus is speaking here, he's looking down through the corridor of time. He's going down into the last part of this earth's history, and he says, it's going to be so bad that there's going to be great earthquakes, there's going to be great famines, there's going to be great wars. Worse than ever before, it's going to be like a woman in birth pains. Do you see it? Do you think you give this study so far? It's not that hard. You don't have to go into all the statistics. You know, you just give a few things here and there. Again, when you do an evangelistic series and you really want to, you're with an audience, that's, that's a different scenario than giving a Bible study. You just want to get the ideas out there for people. You know, they, they recognize things that are happening. They recognize that things aren't getting better. And uh, just in this country, I was doing some research and I found out something. You know here in Louisville, they have these great underground caverns that they dug out. Have you heard about that? You can actually go on tours while you're here. They'll take you on these tours and they'll go back underneath the city. I mean, it goes for miles and miles and miles. I have not fully uh, done the, all the detailed research on this. I've just seen the uh, advertisements where they'll take you on these caves and stuff like that. But my understanding was they used to store food in these caves. And some brainchild in our government said, you know what, it costs a lot of money to store food. They used to, this country used to keep like a three years food supply stored up. Did you know that? In these caves and things underground, it costs a lot of money to do that. They'd pay the farmers to grow the extra food and they would store it up in case there was a bad year, then they could feed the people. Is this new to anybody? Well, some years back they said, oh, what? Congress, they said, hey, we got an idea. If we don't pay the farmers and store all this extra food, we can save a ton of money. So let's quit doing that. It's cheaper to pay the farmers not to grow so much food, pay them not to grow some of their fields. If we pay them not to grow it, it's cheaper than paying them to grow it and storing it. So that's what they started doing. So they quit having a surplus. Now, now just think for a minute. What happens when you have a bad year and there's no food? You go to Walmart to buy your bread and it's $5 a loaf. Well, then you add inflation to that. You know, hyperinflation we're entering into and it goes to $10 a loaf. Not a whole lot of other things to do with your money at that time, is there? Just a thought. Jesus said it's going to get like that. And I believe if the Bible's correct all along as it has been, it's coming to a nation near you. 
and at this point, we make a, little bit of an, make a little bit of an appeal sometimes to the person I'm studying with. The only hope you have is learning to trust the author who told you these things were going to happen. Remember what it said in John 14, 29 in our previous study? Behold, I tell you before it comes to pass that when it comes to pass, you'll be scared to death. Oh, no, 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 that's not what it says. That you'll believe, right? In other words, when you see these things happening and all these terrible things that are coming, going to be taking place, it's not doom and gloom. It's good news because the baby's getting ready to be born. I never one time remember my wife, Laura, saying, Oh, no, I'm pregnant. Oh, what am I going to do? It's going to be so painful. You, you ladies never think of that, right? Until you're like on, in, the, in the bed and those, pain, those pains are happening. You're saying, Oh, no, but you're still in joy. Why? How can you be joyous in that, in that kind of pain? Because you're crazy? Is that what it is? No, it's because you know the baby's getting ready to be born, right? And that's the same way with these signs that we're looking at. When we do these kind of studies with people, it sounds like doom and gloom, but brothers and sisters, you need to keep reminding the people that because things are getting so bad, it just simply means we're that much closer. Yeah, I'm definitely unashamed of saying that. Jesus is coming soon, and this is why I believe it. Let us go to the next one here. Matthew 24, 7 again. It says there'll be pestilences. Now, do you know what a pestilence is? Yeah, my, my daughter says it's, it's Marcus, my, her little brother, but it's not. A pestilence is, is diseases. That's what it simply is. It's diseases. And uh, we're looking for an increase. Just like we've seen an increase in other things, Jesus said it would get worse and worse. Are things getting worse and worse as far as diseases go? Yes, in, in short. Um, just in, in like our lifetime, like the 30-something on down to the 18 crowd, you know, we've had diseases um, not only coming, making re resurgence, you know, they're coming back, but we have some of them that are brand new. For instance, um, AIDS, that's new for us. You might think it's not new for you because, you know, you've heard about it your whole life. But some of the older folks here, maybe when they get to the 40-something the crowd, is there anybody here that old, 40 or older? Did, was AIDS, okay, help me out here, brother. Do you remember when AIDS first made a scene, made an appearance? Yeah, the people that age, you can remember when it first made an appearance, can't you? Now, for the rest of us, we're like, we've always heard of this. But it's new, and it's bad. It's like 40 million people or something like that a year dying from it. You know, these diseases are not only new, but we have some making a comeback. The H1N1, which is, I don't know, is it something or not? <laughs> but they're, they're sure making it something, aren't they? The Ebola virus, the bird flu, all these other things are, there's people dying. Just the flu itself, 40,000 people in the United States die a year, just the flu, they say. Isn't it right? 40,000, something like that. These things are on an increase. That's what we're looking for. And there is an increase of diseases on this planet. Maybe not here. But if you travel any overseas, you're going to find out that this is exactly what's taking place and it's coming here. It's definitely coming here. And a lot of it is here. Earthquakes will be on the increase according to Matthew 24, 7. Again, when you're given a Bible study, this one simple outline, one simple um, um, idea will, will work. Earthquakes, according to long-term records, since about 1900, we expect about 17 major earthquakes, seven or above, and one great earthquake, eight or above, in any given year. That's right off the USGS um, website, you know, the United States Geological Survey website. You go there, they talk about all the earthquakes, and they'll say things like this. Now check this out, they'll say things like this. We're not really having any more earthquakes than we used to. They're just like in populated places. You'll have to notice something here again in the Greek. Let me show you this. When it says in diverse places, if you look at the, Hebrew, or the Greek word right there, you know what the word literally means and translated in other places? It means inhabited. Look it up. The word diverse places, where it says diverse places, some, some Bibles translate it various places, the word means inhabited. Jesus says there'll be earthquakes in inhabited places. I looked it up in Thayer, Thayer's dictionary. I think it may be even on this thing. No, it's not. I don't have it on here. But it means inhabited places. So there, have there always been earthquakes? Yeah, they're here, they're there. But are they more and more in inhabited places? Yeah, that's why people die. A lot of people die from earthquakes. You know, those things happen more regularly in inhabited places. Let us go on because I'm going to run out of time. All right, done with Matthew 24, uh, 7. And now we're at the 10th one here, Matthew 24 and verse 12. Look what it says. It's not all bad news. We're going to get to the end of it now. It's not all bad news. You want to hear some of the good news? Look what it says in verse 12. Be, well, still bad news. I'm sorry. <laughs> because iniquity shall abound, the love of many will wax cold. So Jesus says iniquity shall abound. What is iniquity? Does anybody know what iniquity is? It's not only sin, it's the practicing of sin. You know, a sin is, you, you may mess up in sin sometimes, but iniquity is like the practicing of sin. It's where you just, it's a regular thing for you. I just, I like sinning. That's the kind of idea. Because that will abound. That'll be a regular thing. The love of many will wax cold. In other words, people will become heartless and cruel. And he goes on to say, we'll look on right here. He goes on to say, 
that it will be just like it was in the days of Noah. Look at verse 27, Matthew 24, 37. But as the days of Noah were, so shall the coming of the Son of Man be. So similar to the days of Noah. And what I take them to here, we just take them simply to the book of Genesis and show them something very interesting about the days of Noah. You can do it very briefly about the days of Noah. Genesis 6, I'm going too fast, I know. But you can get these all if you want them written down. You're not getting them written down. Let me know. We'll get you a copy of them at the end because that clock. The one thing I don't like about this is you have a clock. I love evangelism. I hold an evangelistic series. I can keep them there all night. All right, Genesis 6, verse 5, and they come back. Hey, listen, people will sit through a two-hour movie, no problem. The only ones that don't come back are the Adventists. <laughs> yeah, I don't know why that is. Genesis 6, verse 5, look what it says. Not all of them, you know, some of them just not faithful. And God saw that the wickedness of man was great in the earth and that every imagination and thoughts of their heart was only evil continually. Most of the time when we think of the days of Noah, we think of it, it must have been really bad with all the, the whoredom going on, the bloodshed and things like that. But you'll notice there that it says just the imagination and thoughts of their heart was only evil continually. Uh, television. <laughs> it's their imagination and the thoughts of their heart. All they thought about was evil and wickedness. Even when they went, wasn't practicing wickedness, that's what they were thinking about. I'd like to bring that out. Jesus said it'll be just like that in the last days. It'll be the same way. Even when people are not out doing wicked things, that's what they're thinking about doing. That's what he says. Jesus said it'll be like it was in the days of Noah. The days of Noah, the problem was they was always thinking about bad things, wicked things to do. And then verse 11, he helps sum that up a little more. It says, the earth was also corrupt before God, and the earth was filled with what? Violence. Could you say that about the earth today? Yeah. I mean, you could, you could say that in the Seventh-day Adventist church. Go to a board meeting. No, I'm just kidding. No, but people are. There's a lot of violence out there, don't you think? Even in the church, some of the stuff that you may even watch on television that you shouldn't be watching, you're filling your head with violence. That's what's going on even in our churches. And then we're afraid to share Jesus. Maybe because we don't know Him. So it says there that the earth was filled with violence and the earth was wicked and everything that was bad on the earth at that time. That's what it was in the days of Noah and Jesus said it will be the same way at the very end of time. And then we have, a, then we have the positive text. Because now the good news, because of things like, I'm going to say this here, you might not want to say this in your Bible study, but because of things like GYC, this last part is being fulfilled right now. It's being fulfilled as we're sitting here. Matthew 24 and verse 14, look what the Bible has to say. And the gospel of this kingdom shall be preached into all the world for a witness to all nations. And then what you've been watching for, what you've been looking for, what you've been paying attention to, the end will come. So yeah, all these bad things are going to be taking place. Are they taking place? Without a doubt. But Jesus says, hey, the good news is the end will come. This gospel is going to go into all the world, and it is. Even if you're not part of it, it is. And then the end will come. In a Bible study, I like saying that too, because most people have no idea that the world's coming to an end. They think because of all the bad things, the world's coming to an end, but that's not the signs. There's one main last sign. All those bad things, yeah, they're on an increase, but there's one last thing that's taking place. And it's just like birth pain, just going, getting closer and closer and more intense. The gospel is going to the world, and the end is going to come. That's what the promise of Jesus gives us. And then the last text of the study here, Matthew 24 and verse 33. Oh, yeah, 24, 33. He says, so likewise, when you shall see all these things. How much of it? all these things, when it all is intensifying just like a baby being born, when it all comes together at the same time, as it's doing right now as we're sitting here, when you see all these things come together just like this, know that it is near even at the doors. So how can we know it's near even at the doors? When all these things are coming together and being very intense. That's what's happening today. And then the last part of the appeal. Oh, I'm done. The last part of the appeal that I, that I give in the study with them. Is, do you want to be a part of, being, of seeing this gospel go to all the world or do you want to continue to sit on the couch or stand by and just not pay attention? You're going to be one of two groups at the very end. Each one of us, we're going to be one of two groups. We're going to be a part of the people that is finishing up Matthew 24, verse 14, taking this gospel to all the world for a witness and then the end coming. Or we're going to be a part of those people that need to be hearing that message, that need to be reached. My prayer is that you'll become part of those people that are sharing this good news with others brothers and sisters I believe with all my heart these things are intensifying I don't believe it just because I want to believe it 
I believe it because you can just go on CNN online any day or any one of the websites any day and look at the news, and it's getting worse. It's intensifying, and Jesus said it would. Let's pray. Father in heaven, I thank you so much for the signs that you've given us of your second coming. Lord, I pray that you help each one of us to take this Bible study and to share it with others. Lord, I believe it is very uh, simple to do if we'll just read through the Bible and, 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 and notice what it is that you're, that you're saying and apply it. And Lord, I know that many people's hearts, just like the two disciples in the book of Luke 24, their hearts are warmed as we share these topical Bible studies with them and show them what your word has to say. Give us courage, Lord, not to be afraid, but to be unashamed to share these truths with others. I pray for everyone here, Lord, that will be among those people that is, that is faithfully doing your work until you come. In Jesus' name we ask. Amen. This media was produced by Audioverse for GYC, Generation of Youth for Christ. If you would like to learn more about GYC, please visit www.gycweb.org. Or if you would like to listen to more free online sermons, please visit www.audioverse.org.